0: Currently, just to kind of give you a little bit of a picture of me, and then we'll get into our subject for today, um, my wife Candy, we are currently serving as vocational missionaries working with church mobilization, It's a, a new window of U.S. missions that uh, has just been kind of put together in the last uh, probably six months. So they have they have uh, seven, well there used to be seven windows, now it's six. And so we're U.S. missionaries with the Assemblies of God. And uh, our heart is really that through Converge Group Coaching and Discipling Center, that's our our ministry that we lead, that we can lead transformation by equipping, coaching, and discipling leaders, such as ministers, missionaries, uh, uh, missionary entrepreneurs, nonprofit directors, Uh, These are the types of people that we work with and and try to help. Uh, We we work to help send them back out into really a missionary movement of people who are sharing the gospel in ways that we believe actually sounds good to the crazy culture that we live in here in America um, and are able to affect them in some very profound ways. So in short, what we're focused at doing is we're mobilizing a missionary movement turning our local congregations and churches and the people in them into uh, uh, missionaries who understand what God has given them to do. So what we want to do is we want to help develop ministers uh, so that they can create and and develop uh, innovative plans for sharing the gospel and leading change that includes a vision for the future. So uh, it's our ambition to inspire and to lead others and to awaken them to a missionary approach mixed with a missional philosophy of life and ministry, and to do all that in the context of where God has called them to serve. So it's not about a model. It's not about five steps and you'll be on your way. It's about philosophy and understanding and making difficult changes to lead people forward so we can be more effective in fulfilling the gospel Command of go into all the world and make disciples. Well, that's enough on me. If you want to check out more, feel free to look us up on the web. We're at convergegroup.org. Convergegroup.org is our website, and uh, you can you can see what we're doing there. Well, let's get to work and start talking about building a discipling culture in post-Christian America. That's our our subject for the day. Um, it might be a little tough at two. Two fifteen in the afternoon, but we're gonna we're gonna do our best. All right, so we'll try to keep you awake, and uh, help you with uh, some understanding. So discipleship let's let's focus there first is foundational to both our faith and the church that we serve. It it is just a foundation piece. Discipleship is. Most of us can quote a few scriptures about the subject. We know a little bit on it, and uh, we know that there were twelve original disciples, right? And so that's good, and I think most of us here probably know that we're supposed to see ourselves as a disciple, all right? And, and so that's all good, because that's a start. <laughs> we're, we at least have something to build from, and so we're not starting from scratch. Unfortunately, because of a lack of good experience in a, uh, what I might refer to as a productive discipleship environment, these same people have no idea what they need to do to create a culture of discipleship so that we're we're really kind of focusing on how do I make that culture so that it's 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 there it's it's we're saturated and, and we have this reproducing and happening so many of these people have never been in a discipling relationship where they could learn what to do I've been amazed as I've worked with ministers and missionaries from all over and from different different d- denominations and fellowships and found that Many of even our ministers have never experienced what we would call a healthy discipling relationship. They've, they've never really been that, uh, that close to someone else and been discipled personally. And that just all creates a bit of a problem for us. Um, and, and so that's, that's the disciple side. And the post-Christian, that's a term referencing the period of time that you and I live in. We live in a post-Christian period, a time where the Christian faith and its ideals no longer hold the same place or the status um, in the culture around us that we once held. There was a day when the church was the major influence in how America thought. That no longer is a reality. That is gone, and it's not coming back. All right, at least not quickly. And it's going to take a, a true spiritual awakening, a true revival amongst the people of God and awakening in our, our communities all over this nation for that to shift or change. We've got to come to grips with that. That's the reality of our world. So we live in this post-Christian world. Um, it's it's uh, um, In other words, what I'm saying is that Christianity is no longer the dominant influence that it once held. So even though they weren't Christians, they still understood a few ideas about it. They still kind of lived their lives by some of those important pieces that you and I hold to. It kind of governed the way they thought and they acted and did. So this means that people that we rub shoulders with will have little, uh, maybe to no understanding at all, of the beliefs that are guiding our lives as Christians. They, They have no clue why you live the way you live as a follower of jesus yet we often treat them as if they do (laughs) you know we we think that they understand in other words it's like you're speaking a foreign language to them and you think well this is clear this is easy to understand and they have no idea what you're saying they don't figure it out they don't get it all right and so that that creates a problem that's why my wife and i are so dedicated to raising up missionaries because missionaries learn how to cross those cultural uh, divides, how to get to that other side. So they're better at communicating at the same time, these same people that, um, have, have not uh, really an understanding of us. Um, they, they are keenly aware there are some who live by these concepts, you know, who live and believe these things, and, uh, but they see them as archaic ideas from yesterday. They're, they're an old way of living life. And they have no, no relevance and no importance to today. And the things we've grown beyond them, we, we've learned more than this. And so that's kind of how they're, they're processing and seeing it. In essence, they've passed on the idea of religion or on the idea of church. Um, and sometimes even have passed on God and decided that uh, none of them have, are, are necessary in their lives or um, maybe in their spiritual development. They, they may be very spiritual people, but they, they may not be picking up on the, the Christian approach to faith and to spiritual life. And so so that's what we find with these people. So when you take a foundational piece of our faith, such as discipleship, and you try to bring it to life in a culture that doesn't really understand it and has, in many cases, rejected it, it's difficult to be successful, isn't it? It's Kind of hard to make that, that movement forward, and so we get frustrated with it. So what we need to do is reimagine how the gospel fits into such a society. In other words, how do we present Jesus to a world that has moved on and said, we've looked at it, we've thought about it, but we don't see any relevance or help from it. And so we do not believe. How do we, how do we teach them to think differently? How do we help them to approach that differently? And, um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're, what we're trying to achieve and to do. So Today's talk is about uh, creating a culture that changes the way um, true followers of Jesus live their lives in hopes of bringing transformation to what we refer to as people of peace around them and ultimately to the cities that we live in. Can you agree that our cities need transformation? They, they really need Jesus, right? And uh, so many of them and the people in them in desperate desperate need so it really is an interesting subject that we spend a lot of time talking about these days at least I get to in in the things that I do so let's get started with some important base questions so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to actually ask some base questions um, and and then we're going to work at answering some of these the first one is pretty simple what is discipleship what is discipleship so discipleship we see as a way that we go about reproducing in others the truth and the life Jesus Christ intends for us to live. I'm going to give that to you one more time. It's it's an important piece. Discipleship is the way we go about reproducing in others the truth and the life Jesus Christ intends for us to live. It's how the good news is uh, transmitted from one people or one person to another person it's how we we pass that on okay so discipleship does those kinds of things this is how the church through the ages has passed the basics of our faith from one generation to the next it's it's amazing historically when we look at at the church how well intact we have kept the foundations of the faith that is discipleship working at its best it's how we we do that We pass it from one generation to the next, teaching those uh, profound basics that every person needs to know and understand. And so so it's the way that we train and we equip people to live incarnated gospel oriented lives. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It's how we live and, uh, uh, and equip people to live out incarnated gospel oriented lives. It means living out the truth of Jesus. See, until we live it, we haven't completed the discipleship process. Having it in theory is wonderful. and can be very helpful, but it doesn't transform. Discipleship by nature is transformative. It It wants to change how we believe, change how we live. And until we get to that level, we haven't really accomplished what we've set out to do. So to be a disciple... Uh, is to be a, as my brother Bruno Gledkowski taught me many, many years ago, to be a learner follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody else know that definition from Bruno? <laughs> uh, those, uh, that shows our age, doesn't it? I think it does. But uh, yeah, he he taught us that and got that into my, my heart as he discipled me. So to be a disciple is to be a learner follower of Jesus Christ. In the definition, we learn. And we follow. We learn and we do. All right? And that's, that's what it means to be a disciple. Therefore, discipleship is not about the accumulation of information about God. All right? Sometimes people think that's discipleship. It's about just gaining all these facts, all this information. I just have to know so much. And uh, so it's not about accumulation of information about God. It is rather about transformation of a person's life as they live it out as they move from from knowledge and facts and theory, and it goes to the practicum of choices we make when we we were with someone else, whether we lie or tell the truth. Whether or not we deceive, (laughs) right? Or whether we let it be presented as it really is. And so discipleship takes us to those points and says, We have to incarnate it. We have to live it out on a regular basis, all of the truth of Christ. So it's about transformation of a person's life as they live this thing out or incarnate it in the gospel message or truth that they've discovered. We assume, hopefully, that you have a base understanding of this because that's all the time I'm going to give on that side of the equation at this point. A little background just so you have a bit of that. So um, we won't spend much more time on that part. So let's talk about the question next of what is post-Christian culture. Uh, I'm making an assumption here that everyone here has done deep cultural studies. And you all know exactly when I say post-Christian America, you're like, I got it, here's the definition. Are y'all there? No, I'm so surprised. <laughs> OK, it's not language that we're used to hearing a lot, but we're going to talk about it. and. Uh, either you're in here because there was no other classes open at this time slot, which is okay, that's a good reason, or, or you were looking at it and you were intrigued by the title and you wondered, maybe they'll define it. We're going to give you a little bit, but not a full explanation today. Um, our focus in this particular conversation that we're having, we're more really interested in how we improve our serve as we move in and out of post-Christian culture post-christian America okay so so it's really we're really focused on what do I need to be thinking about when I'm moving in and out of this thing if you don't understand it you can join one of our online groups and we'll teach you what what post-christian America is you'll you'll learn it over time Um, but but this is more about how we enter interface with it interact with it but here are some basics to help for today all right, post-Christian thought is wrapped up in the gospel of self. That's, I'm trying to bring it down to some really simple pieces. Post-Christian thought is wrapped up in the gospel of self. What we're experiencing around us isn't so much the, mm, the eradication of God from the Western mind as it is the enthroning of self as the greatest authority. That's, that's really at its, its foundation. That's, that's what this is about. So what we're saying is that we are our own lords. And we dethrone Jesus as Lord. Okay? And so when we talk, when you hear someone talk about post-Christian something, that at, at the base of that, the philosophy, the idea, is it's, it's all about the self. I'm what's important. I make the decisions, okay? So we're saying that, that, that we are our own lords. We increasingly relegate God, if he is in the picture, more and more to the role of a servant. So if I do believe in God, he's there to serve me. Think about some of the prayers we've heard people pray, and you can hear that philosophy coming through, even good people in the rank and file of our churches who we know really do love God, but they have touches of this culture as it's affecting the way they think because they live in it all through the week. And they get these little snippets where they kind of get together with other Christians, and, but it's still there. And so, and so we have to begin to recognize some of those, those pieces and where they are coming from. So what we're saying is that, that um, they, they really think of God as almost a servant to them. What we need to grasp is what author Mark Sayers says. Uh, he he says this: post Christianity is not pre Christianity. Post Christianity is not pre Christianity. Rather, post Christianity attempts to move beyond Christianity while simultaneously feasting upon its fruit. Let me let me help you with that a little bit. What Mark Sayers is saying is that the people of a post-Christian world are not the pagan people of the past. It used to be that when we did evangelism, we thought pagans, ungodly, heathens, they have no real knowledge or understanding of who God is, so we have to lay that foundation out and convince them that this is the right way to go. That's not the people that we're working with today. They probably have some thought about it. They may have observed it or seen it or in some way um, been uh, interacted with it, but they have moved past it. In other words, they no longer think it meets the bill. It doesn't fulfill what it says. So they've, they've gone beyond. And now they've, they've looked at other thoughts, other faiths, other ideas. And they begin to absorb those because it better suits them, themselves. So they have some thought about religion and moved beyond it. Sayers goes on to say this. He says, post-Christian culture attempts to retain the solace of faith whilst gutting it of the costs, the commitments, the restraints that the gospel places upon the individual's will. The costs, commitments, and the restraints that they think the gospel places upon the individual's will. So post-Christianity intuitively yearns for the justice and the shalom of the kingdom while defending the reign of the individual will. In short, post-Christian culture wants the fruit of the kingdom without the king. They like a lot of the ideas. So if you listen to some of these people and you think they're Christians, they really aren't. They're just using a lot of Christian language. They're just taking concepts and ideas and sharing those thoughts. But they don't think that they need Jesus to get there. A lot of our, our current stars and different ones that, that speak out in, in the entertainment world. Sometimes you think they're Christians, but they're really not. They're they're really espousing another gospel so we have to listen and watch very closely what's that it goes right back to to, to when i was young i was always taught just just listen to how they treat jesus <laughs> right you see if jesus is lord if he's the king if he's god if he's the christ you know if he's savior then 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 there's there's something to work with okay and they're, they're denying that capability they want the fruit of the kingdom without the king. They, they borrow from Christianity to help create their idea of utopia. They want a utopian society. They, they want a perfect world, <laughs> you know, where they can enjoy so many things and, and have so much. So, so uh, yeah, so that's, that's the, the reality that uh, Mark helps us to see and to understand. So it takes a, a different approach in engaging people like this than those that we used uh, to engage when, when we were talking about a pagan world. That, that was a different conversation. Yes, did you have a question or something? Well, when you said that, it me of uh, the scripture that says a form of and denying the Sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's almost like it was written right for this group of people. Exactly. You're getting you're getting the idea. We have to we have to watch what people are saying, how they're saying it, and and sometimes good people say some things that they think are communicating something. Uh, so we don't want to we don't write them off. We want to treat them as brothers and sisters until we know different. But but yeah, they're they're going to go to places like that and say things in, in those kinds of veins of thought. So at the end of the day, the Post-Christian thinking struggles and most likely rejects any attempt at discipleship in the Christian faith. Boy, does that make you all encouraged coming to learn how to create a culture in post-Christian America, right? We're, we're, we're going to get there. Hang with me a little bit. But, but that's, where, that's what we're facing. It, it, it does so because it sees this way of thinking and living as something that's being forced upon people. Well, in other words, you don't have the right to tell me my reality. I have the right to define my own reality. All right. And so it's fine for you if you want to buy into all that. But you can't, you can't tell me that that's how I'm supposed to live. And, and that's how they're, they're facing life. So, so it, it does so because this is the way that they see things. Um, and so in their minds, they need to be free to search out and to define however they want to view these kinds of things for themselves. It means that we have to find ways to better disciple people who come from such a culture because it's how they think. I can wish they didn't, but it's how they think. And it's a reality that we're working with. So people in the church think in some of these ways that uh, we are talking about as well. And so what do we do with them? It's how they think. They're affected. You are affected. I'm affected. All of us are impacted by the world we live in. If you, if you move about at all, watch any TV, listen to music. If you, if you go out and, and just work in the world around us, you're being affected by this type of thinking that um, has been espoused and, and put out there and is so dominant in our world today. So it's one reason why we advocate a mixture of the coaching with discipleship as it improves our serve among such people. And hopefully by the time we're done, if you know anything about coaching, you'll, you'll see why those two really work well together. I think Mike Smith was, was talking about that today earlier in one of the sessions um, that, that he did. I understand that he had quite a, a large group in, in there. And so mixing coaching with discipleship is a really powerful way for us to affect this. Well, let's take on the next question that we have, which is really going to work towards that culture piece that we we opened up with. So what does it take to build a culture of discipleship in a post-Christian world? What does it take to build a culture of discipleship in a post-Christian world? We're going to give you four realities in just a moment that are important if we hope to create a culture of discipleship that can sustain the onslaught, all right, of post-Christian thinking. In a nutshell, we have to get better at discipling people if we want them to make it in this world. We have to improve the way we serve. We have to get better, okay? So we can't rely on yesterday's success We need to develop our own. These are realities that really change the landscape of our lives um, and the ministries that we serve when we recognize them and we put these things into motion. They they change everything. So the only way that we can successfully build an ongoing culture of discipleship in our post-Christian world is to get better at the art of making disciples. That's it. We have to get better at it. So then, the people that we send out are not as likely to catch this; they're not as likely to be lost to the evangelism efforts of the post-Christian world itself. Think about pastors—if if, if you can go back in your mind, how many young people, young adults, grow up in the church, they love Jesus, and they they get to that age where they can kind of start finding their own way, and they move out, and then they disappear. And then we don't see them, and then we find out that they're not serving Christ. They've declared themselves to be this or that, or maybe maybe they've, they're an atheist, or maybe they don't think they need the church anymore, or whatever the things might be that they say. They're being influenced by this idea of thought and approach to life. So the only way we can successfully build an ongoing culture of discipleship in our post-Christian world, is to get better in this art. So we have to focus at it, put some attention to it, and work at it. So at the same time, we become more effective at leading. We become more effective um, at equipping uh, followers of Jesus in our care in this day, people who might believe some of these things. And if you, if you really dig into this, you begin to understand how we can have so many people who call themselves christians who who think about some of the hot subjects in ways that we may not traditionally have agreed with, how they seem to be much more accepting of issues like um living together, homosexuality, you know how they they have a different view about all of this. We have those people in our churches if you can engage them and get them open and honest and talking with you they'll let you know that they think differently about abortion than maybe the church has traditionally thought. And, and so they just stay very quiet because they don't know that it's safe to bring that up. We've got to create opportunity where we can talk through that so that we can help them find the truth, help them find a way that the world uh, won't show to them. So here's an important discipleship reality. If we focus at making disciples, we're going to always get the church. Now, that sounds very simple, but this is really important. If we focus at making disciples, we will always get the church as a result. It's the byproduct. It's what gets produced, the church. All right? And, and that's an important foundational piece of, of putting together the type of of uh, mindset that we need. So discipleship is a core purpose of the church and it's a big reason behind the things we do. So the problem is that we've not been good at making disciples and when we as Christians or as the church make other things, the main thing, we rarely, if ever, get bona fide disciples of Jesus. If we're focusing on the wrong stuff, Peripherals, traditions, okay? I love tradition. I can be very traditional about some things. But if that has the same rule as scripture, and I'm discipling you in a tradition or a process or a system, I've missed the boat. I need to disciple you in the truth of Jesus Christ. I need you to know and understand what the basics of faith are about. Right, and, and so we've got to get ourselves back on track and teaching and focusing on the major things, not these other side things. And, and that will, will produce a tremendous difference in the type of people we're reproducing. So if we, if we do not get disciples, we're, we're never going to be able to, to get the fruit-bearing vine that Jesus imagined for the church. And we're going to establish that in just just a minute. In short, consumers will never become the producers Jesus is looking for. Did did you catch what I just said? Because it's it's a small sentence, but boy, it, it carries a punch. Consumers will never be the producers Jesus intended, that he expects, that he's looking for. And so Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. We have to believe that if we improve the way we make disciples, we improve our ability to serve in this post-Christian culture around us. If we can, if we can raise the level, I think we can raise the level in more than one area. And we can become more effective in how we're engaging this world. And uh, his promise that he makes to us is that he will be with us when we are focused on doing the job he commissioned us to do. So I want to say we can do this. I really believe with all my heart we can make that shift. We just have to be willing to pay the price to get there, okay? So you could say that a healthy discipleship culture is really about the way we create and maintain a people movement as it is reproduced from one person to another. We need to discover some important realities about a discipling culture so that we can reproduce these in the systems that we create um, to fulfill this important responsibility. Our systems don't all have to be identical. The people you work with, the city that you're in, the circumstances of your church, they're all unique and different, and they all take unique and different kinds of pieces to make it work. So, you know, it's, it's tough to go to a, a seminar and pick up five steps to discipleship, and you'll have healthy disciples just coming out everywhere. It just doesn't work quite that way. And so we're going we're gonna to have to rest on a few other pieces to help. So here's a few things. These are the four that I'm going to give to you right now that I think are crucial in a discipling culture. First of all, discipleship equals fruitfulness. We have to think this way. Discipleship equals fruitfulness. See, discipleship equals fruitfulness in our lives, in our church, as we are meant to be producers, that is, bearers of fruit as we mature and we grow in Christ, making deposits in other people's lives. Fruitfulness equals discipleship as we reproduce in other people the lessons that life experience and the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. We make disciples who are the fruit that we produce as we follow Jesus. It's such an important piece. This is really something that runs counter to the culture at large in the world around us who are focused on a deep commitment to the philosophy and the faith of consumerism. You see, consumerism is about people who live unto themselves to consume whatever they want or what is appealing to them. That's that's the faith of our day. That's how people live their lives. Um, other ways we've referred to it is a throwaway society, right? We, we, we go get something, we consume it, and we throw it away. We pitch it out in the garbage. All right? So consumers about people who live this way. They see everything as a choice, and they have a freedom to pick only the things that benefit or meet a need or a hunger in them. I want to let that just kind of settle in. They they think that it's their right, their uh, responsibility to pick those things that are best for me. So I can take a little bit from this faith, a little bit from this one over here, a little bit from this one over here, and I can put them all together and make my own mix, and that's my spirituality, and I can express it that way. I don't need to gather with the church because I can be responsible for my own. All right? Um, and, And so they see everything as a choice. Instead of producing... They see their role as a consumer of goods and services. In this case, spiritual goods and services. Okay, but they live this way in everything. It's not just the church, you know. They they make these choices in everything, educational systems, uh, the marketplace. The, it's just driving. Just think in terms of how much. Just think in terms of how much the market has changed. on this idea it's all around us we see it everywhere too often we think in terms slightly different as we as we um, often think discipleship equals growth all right and that little shift in language takes us to a completely different destination than what I think Jesus intended we don't usually think of it this way but when growth becomes the destination we're operating really from a consumer philosophy um, type of influence. That's where that comes from, see, that, that whole way of thinking. And it's true that good, healthy discipleship will produce growth, and we need to grow, amen? I mean, we do need to. I'm, I'm not down on that at all. In order for us to have the capability of production, That Jesus wants to see we have to grow, so we do need to grow, but it's not the destination. So growth happens to enable us to do what? To bear fruit. That's the actual destination that God intended. We are producers. We are fruit bearers. So discipleship equals fruitfulness. That's that's one of the first pieces that we've got to, Come to grips with and learn to understand. Jesus said we were to bear fruit and even more fruit. And the fruit that he is looking for is disciples. What else did he really ask for? Go into all the world and do what? And make disciples. You know, it's pretty simple. That's the fruit of our lives. That's what he's really looking for. And all those other things are really working towards our ability and our capability to get better and better at being disciplers. All right, let's go to the second one. Discipleship equals community. I'm going to have to pick up the pace because I won't be done in time. Healthy discipleship best takes place in the context of a community or an extended family of God's people. While discipleship often happens between two people, one interacting together in a what we call a discipling relationship. You have a disciple and a discipler. There are others who assist or contribute in that discipleship process. We recognize the individual contributes, uh, contributions that are made and understand it takes multiple interactions with multiple people for good discipleship to happen. It takes a community of people. These multiple interactions with different people are the, are, are the different people that we have come to trust and to know in the context of what? The community of God's people. In many ways, it functions as an extended family. Do you, do you love your extended family, your church, the, the people who make up that group? I, I know that we do, and, and, so, and so, yes, that's important to us. Therefore, healthy discipling looks a lot like apprenticing people. It also involves engagement with multiple interactions with those who come with different gifts and abilities. I can't teach the same things that my wife teaches. We have very different gift structures. And she's really good at what she does. All right? I approach it completely different. I mean, if you have us talk... If she was teaching this this group today, she would talk about a whole lot of other things because in her mind, that would be the way to start. We approach things differently, but we end at the same point, all right? And that is Jesus. So Paul tells us that God gave us five specific types of people who help us to grow and uh, be mature in the faith so that we can produce fruit, and even more fruit. In essence, a healthy discipleship takes place as we learn from an apostle, a prophet, uh, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. We need all five of these. Each of these types of people pour into our lives the teachings, perspectives, and experiences they have accumulated in life and come to know. Um, then those get reproduced. That's what we call discipling, and um, and we teach others. It takes a community to grow healthy, fruit-bearing followers of Jesus. Because all those all those perspectives help us be a better representative of Christ. The more we add to that, the better, more healthy it is. I think there was a, a one of the sessions. So if you didn't get to go to it, look it up. I think Dele might have been been teaching it on on the fivefold, and um, and so you can you can get a little more exposure there, if if you want to to get a little bit better understanding of that aspect. The list of the five, sure. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Ephesians four eleven. You can look them up there and, and find Paul. Writing about them. So the community comes together to present a much better representation of Christ so that the people we disciple better reflect Him to the world around them. That's why it takes a community. We want you to be mature and strong so that you can bear more fruit. More fruit. Not dry up after the first five years. All right? But to continue through your lifetime bearing fruit making disciples, discipling other people, teaching them how to live. But we have to capture that missionary heart, that missionary spirit to keep that going and doing it. Discipleship equals relationship. Healthy, good discipleship requires relationship between those involved. You simply cannot have good discipleship without a certain level of genuine, authentic relationship taking place see relationships are about so much more than talking at people they are built on the principle of talking with people or with one another good discipleship is more than one person this is terrible i'm standing up here one person standing up front (laughs) and dispensing or downloading information to the masses or a class or a small group or whatever It is. It includes sharing information. There's the saving piece, all right, Um, and uh, so it includes sharing the information that we've learned, but it's also about sharing our lives with the people we are discipling. So what we're saying is that it's letting another person have access to our lives uh, and to do so at some pretty deep levels. This is what I do. I I work with ministers and missionaries and we have these online groups and we talk and we work through various uh, books and thoughts and ideas and they have access to me and we have all sorts of conversations in the group and outside the group. And, and we talk about stuff and we live things and they get to watch my life and they listen to the stories of my life and they, they can see and, and, and experience that with me. And it helps them to grow and to change, and to be discipled. That's that's what we do in in the things that I'm I'm working on, in our missions calling. Um, so now they can see how the truths that are needed to share with them, and they can live them out in real time. Um, you have to uh, just contact me, and and we can we can work towards that. Okay. Um, one of the difficulties that we have in our culture around us is that we are relationally um, deficient. We're terrible at, at relationships. I mean, we can't even keep a friendship together, let alone a marriage. It's really tough. All right? It, it's a problem. So, so um, yes, they're all online. I, I do it all through Zoom, so um, it makes it so that people can save money and save time and all those good things. So, here's what I mean: we we cannot serve self. We can't serve self or live by the philosophy of extreme individualism. That's a post-Christian um, ideal. Extreme individualism of our world. And we maintain life-giving friendships with others. Instead, we settle for these pseudo-friendships through, it's not, I even hate putting it in the category, social media and the like. They are anything but a real relationship. I mean, I really. it's really nice of you to like my post. I really appreciate it. And it actually helps the algorithm. And so that really is a blessing. But you know what? You're not my friend. I don't want to hurt your feelings. If you want to be my friend, we've got to work a little deeper at this. Okay? Um, and And so the people of our world are struggling. Our dysfunction in establishing and maintaining healthy interpersonal relationships place most people in a deficit position. In other words, we have to find a way to invite others to join us in something that they really are not equipped to do. Okay? Deep inside, they want it for their life. It isn't that there's not an interest. They want it. They're just not really equipped for it. The driving philosophy of the day doesn't do anything to promote such life, such relationships, such types of interactions. So they struggle back and forth between two compelling desires, one that is for others and wants them in their life, and one that is for self and wants to live unto myself. I mean, after all, I don't want to give up playing my, my video games. Because, you know, if I'm your friend, i got to give you time, and that takes away my time to play my video game. And it sounds silly, but I <laughs> know, people, that that's a reality. I'm not making that up. That comes from conversation. <laughs> all right? This is real life. So a discipling culture changes the course as we live counter to the culture at large and build the type of relationships that can forge the productive, fruitful disciples Jesus had in mind for his church. What does that mean? That means, Pastor Chuck, you can't take on 50 people and disciple them effectively because you can't have relationship at this level with 50 people. Well, if you have a church of 75 to 100 people, that's pretty hard to disciple all those people. See, this is the shift in thinking that has to take place in the minister's mind. So we have to work at what's the strategy. How do we multiply ourselves so that we can still disciple all those people? The responsibility doesn't change. It's just the way we go about it, and we work at being creative and how we work at doing that and what that that takes. Thank you, Chuck, for letting me use you, but I felt comfortable because I know you well enough that I could do that. So. All right, I have one more piece. I can quit and just take questions, but if you want to hear about us, discipleship equals leadership, your call. Go for it. All right. Most never think of it this way, and I suppose it's because of the friendships we forge with those that we disciple, but at its core, discipleship is all about leading and growing other leaders. You see, we lead people from where they are in their understanding, knowledge, and experience with God to a new place as they grow and mature out of our experience, our knowledge, and our understanding of God. They learn from the life we live with him, we lead or serve as leaders in their lives. Discipleship is all about leadership, okay? We're leading people and teaching them to lead others as we release them to go and make disciples themselves. That has to always be part of the equation. I'm teaching you so you can go teach someone else And you know what really frustrates pastors is they have churches full of good people who they've poured into and they sit there week after week taking in more and they're never dispensing, they're never producing anywhere else. It's got to change, church. We have to become producers. We need to look and realize if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a leader at least at the very base level of you leading someone else. And we have to get that into our hearts and our minds and our spirits. It has to become part of us. We need the leaders to maintain a productive discipling culture that reproduces over and over and over again in the lives of each generation of disciples that we raise up and we make we are we are i'm proclaiming it We are a people movement. It's what Jesus intended. We are not to be an institutional force. We're to be a people movement, a grassroots thing that uh, need to be released among ourselves and live out this calling that God has given to each and every person who bears his name. This, again, is a counterculture move in a world around us who are starving for good leaders worth following. We are starving for leaders. All you had to do was look out over the last year. We are starving for good leaders who really represent the character that needs to be demonstrated in a leader's life. It's not just about their competencies. That's a lie. That's part of this whole post-Christian culture idea. It's not good enough just to be good. You need to have character. That's a must. We're leading and teaching them to lead others. This world around us, they want it, they need it, but they also resist it with everything in them because they want to be their own Lord. It's tough to let someone else be the leader in my life when I want to be the leader in my life. It's hard to let someone else step in with that kind of influence. When I want to be in that position. So we have the task of building the type of relationship through which such access is granted as we influence them to influence others. So instead of leaving people to find their own ways and their own kind of unique mix of spirituality and faith and life and all the things that go into it, we help them best by leading them at a at a pace of development that they can handle. They do get to set the pace and the course. They are in charge. It's their life. But I'm still leading them. And we've got to get that change in our thoughts and our minds and eventually into our systems and processes, because most of our evangelism methods do not do that. We tell them what they need to think, rather than working with them. We've got to change the course. We simply need to make the subtle shift in thinking about how we see this responsibility. We see it as gently leading others so that they can make better decisions concerning Jesus the Christ. That's what we do. So there are other things that we could have talked about. Hopefully you got some good broad strokes in this conversation and that you can, um, can use.